<laughs> How long can you go? 20 seconds. <laughs> Impressive. Uh, hello. Hey. Hello. Uh, welcome to Sid Holds Her Breath. For the first 20 seconds of the podcast. We for wanted her to do it for the whole time. She's supposed to hold her breath for the whole podcast. Yeah, because I'm the worst perpetrator when it comes to breathing in the mic I've found. That was Andrew. No, that was Sid. That was not me. That was Sid. Don't take credit for things you didn't do, Sid. <laughs> Only if it's good stuff. You did right. learn something from the movie. Did I? I don't know. I don't think that came from the movie. Where did it come from? Just now. Oh, you just made it up? Yep. You should make a movie. No. Alright, fine. Hello. Hi. Hey. And welcome to episode nine of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them. Wow. Episode nine. Nine getting up there. Getting up there. Um, I am your host, Andrew Westensko. I am joined at my right hand by Becca. Me. Hello. At my left hand by Sid. Me. Hello. (laughs) Can you tell our voices apart? Do we sound the same? I I don't don't think so. No, we don't. I sure hope not. Every time I hear my voice in the podcast, I just want to punch myself in the face. So pretty sure that's not you that might change your voice a little bit you might get like a lisp or something maybe that spice it up a bit if you punch yourself in the face well i don't want to do it right now oh okay do it on do it on the podcast right now live yeah. for everyone i'm not breathing and i'm gonna punch myself <laughs> right <in the> face. <laughs> well we learned from the movie that we watched today that you need to sacrifice for art it's true and your sacrifice will be to punch yourself in the face okay we're waiting I'm just kidding. It's not that kind of podcast. Because okay, I really don't want to do it. Uh, I've been slapped in the face before. It wasn't nice. By me. You slapped her? Yeah, I want a slap bet. What is a slap bet? It's a bet, and if you win it, you get to slap the other person. Do you specify at the outset of the bet that it's a slap bet? Yes. Yeah. So you say, I will slap bet you such and such. Yes. Yeah, because I thought I was going to win. Well, I, I, I would hope so. But really, I won. I think that you shouldn't make a bet unless you think you're going to win. We videoed it. Yeah, we did. I don't know where that video is. It's it was on a my vine. Instagram. Somewhere out, there <laughs> Somewhere out there, there's a vine of Becca slapping <laughs> Sid across the face, apparently. Probably with like 10 views. Yeah. Most of it ours. We oh. weren't very cool on Vine. It's about to have 11, <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Rip Vine. R.I.P. Jake Paul lives on, though, in our hearts. Mm. Aren't we so glad... Mm-hmm. Yes. For that. Thank you, Vine, for bringing us Jake Paul. What's his brother's name? John? Uh, Logan? Jason? Logan, Logan Paul. Paul Paul. Terrible. Um, Here on this year podcast titled, We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them. We watch a movie and then we talk about that movie that we just watched. So, we just got together... On this here Thursday night, and we watched Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, directed by Alejandro G. Iñárritu, a real stand-up guy, if you ask me. 
I would think so. I haven't met him in person, but he seems like a nice guy. Uh, this movie stars a lot of people, actually. It uh, mostly stars Michael Keaton, though. It's got uh, Zach Galifianakis. It's got Edward Norton. It's got Emma Stone. It's got uh, Naomi Watts. And it was shot by Emmanuel Lubezki. So we all know it's going to be a good movie because he doesn't shoot bad movies. The movie is a biopic about Michael Keaton getting over being Batman. That's mostly true. It's about an actor who played a superhero uh, many decades in the past and is trying to uh, reclaim his relevancy by trying his hand at a stage production. Uh, That man is played by Michael Keaton, and he runs into a lot of troubles. He has his values challenged, and he learns a valuable lesson in the end. So, um, I don't really know what lesson he learned, but we'll get to that. Ultra spoilers. This movie <laughs> came out in 2014, so get over it. Um, we're spoiling the whole thing. So if you don't want it spoiled, I guess go watch the movie and then come back to us. Please come back. Yes. Um, we're going to start, as we always do, uh, with some hot takes. Becca. All right. So... Going into this movie, I didn't know too much about it, except that the camera work is supposed to be amazing. And I didn't like it at first, honestly. Gotta tell you. The movie or the camera work? Both. (laughs) It was just like, I don't know, it just kind of made me anxious because there was never a cut. And it was freaking me out. And I was like, that was like all I could pay attention to. But the thing that got me back on track that helped me like the movie was the music. Specifically, like, just, like, the drums and how they just, like, always played while they were talking. And it was just really cool. And I loved it. And that was absolutely my favorite part of the movie was the drums in the background the whole time. Yay. (laughs) All right. Sid, hot take. Um, Now, you had seen this before. So, I feel like... There are two very distinct phases of my life. The first one is the one where I just viewed movies as entertainment and didn't really care about the um, the art of it and what makes a movie good. And, you know, this was the me that my favorite movie was The Master of Disguise. So very different a turtle turtle okay that's a good movie all right i'll stand by it <laughs> okay it's funny and then uh the second latter part of my life is the one where i can appreciate um movies and appreciate the art and i feel this movie is in both areas i saw it probably three years ago and i really didn't like it i hated that it won best picture um but now after watching it again I loved it the second time. I really, really liked it. So Great. Uh, on the spot, was there a particular movie or director that uh, flipped you from one phase of your life to the other? Um, no, I just feel like in the last two years is when I kind of decided to watch different movies than I was. Um, the one that kind of got me really into movies lately was probably call me by your name that was when i kind of 
really remembered how much I love movies and how much I love the art of it. So, right. and I'm, I'm grateful for the change. Because I think that every movie lover probably exists in those two phases, right? Mm-hmm. Like nobody. Nobody's born loving yeah. Stalker. <laughs> Stalker's so good. <laughs> um, my hot take. Uh, so I've seen this movie a few times now. And I love it. I really do. Um, I did not have a problem with it winning Best Picture at all. I didn't see it the year it came out, though. I think I saw it probably 2015, so the year after then. Um, When I first started getting into movies, I just kind of went on a binge where I would go to, like, record stores because they have really good... They typically have really good, like, used Blu-ray collections, and you can get movies for, like, two or three bucks which is cheaper than renting them. So I just kind of went ham for a few months and just bought a ton of movies that I hadn't seen, but had heard that they were good. And this was one of them. And I really loved it from the first time that I saw it. I I don't know that it's a perfect movie, but I think it might be close. We'll see when we get to the uh, ratings at the end. I agree with Becca. I love 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 the music i think it's super effective uh i mean it does what music should do which is help set the tone for the movie and um i guess immerse you into the film but i don't think it's a soundtrack i could listen to no like it's literally think, just yeah. drums yeah but it does exactly what it's supposed to it works really exactly. well for the movie mm-hmm. um but yeah i uh i love it i don't know i'm a i'm a huge edward norton fan cat out of the bag i think that he's just amazing and i love emma stone i think that she's a wonderful actress and seems like a lovely human being inside and out um and yeah so that's my hot take is that overall i really like it but we're gonna get into what we liked what we didn't like i'm curious everybody's thoughts i've been trying to get becca to watch this movie for I mean, for how long? You act like it's like pulling teeth. Like I don't want to watch it, but it just we just haven't watched it. I've pulled it. I've pulled it so many times. There's just have been other movies that I've been more interested in. Hmm. All right. Well, um, let's go over a few things first, statistically about the movie, and then uh, we'll get into everybody's thoughts. Becca just bought a pop socket for her phone, and she's using it to prop it up like a little stand. You're right. It's just making I me am. smile for some reason. <laughs> I like it. It's easy to look at my phone. Yeah. Um, okay, so movie directed by um, Alejandro Iñárritu, uh, Mexican filmmaker, the first Mexican director to be nominated for the Academy Award Best Director. little trivia for you. Uh, the funny thing is, is, so he did win Best Director for this, and then Mexican directors kind of went on a freaking spree because um, so he won with this in or wait hang on back it up oh so sorry he was the first to be nominated but the first to win it was Alfonso Cuarón in twenty fourteen for Gravity then in twenty fifteen he won for this for Birdman twenty sixteen. Um, Iñárritu won again. He did a double header for The Revenant. 2017, they skipped a year. They gave it to Damien Chazelle for La La Land. 
And then in 2018, um, Guillermo del Toro won for The Shape of Water. Hmm. And if I'm remembering right, this is, I'm not trying to step on trivia toes here, but Iñárritu, Cuarón, and del Toro are all kind of friends and have known each other for a very long time. So it's cool that they are all getting their dues because they're all fantastic hmm. directors and have great track records. Cool. So um, that's your Oscar trivia. It was nominated for a lot of Oscars. It only won four. It won Best Picture, Best Directing, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Cinematography. Hmm. Uh, nominated was Michael Keaton for Lead Actor, Edward Norton for Supporting Actor, Emma Stone Supporting Actress, Sound Mixing, and Sound Editing. So, that's where we stand on that. It's kind of odd. One Best Picture, but only won four Oscars. Arguably four of the most important, but there you go. Who won... Like best actor. Who won that best? Year. That was actor. Eddie Redmayne. Diddy Heavens. I've you want to hear something really sad? Yeah. So right after, I remember seeing this. Right after Eddie Redmayne won, they like as he's coming up on stage, they like pan over the audience, and it's so sad because you can see Michael Keaton like tucking a piece of paper away, like well, it's his acceptance That's so sad. Let's that be is real. Sad. Just. Michael Keaton's performance in this is better than Eddie Redmayne in Theory of Everything. I only saw half of Theory of Everything, so I haven't seen it. I can't quite make judgments there. I mean, it's fine. Way overhyped. I mean, I love Stephen Hawking as much as the next guy, but... I don't know. This was the year for weird biopics, because Eddie Redmayne was nominated, and so was Brandersnatch for Imitation Game. Oh, yeah. But, yeah... So, um, those are kind of the Oscar stats. What are you guys' thoughts on this movie in a little bit more detail? Um, I feel a little bit confused. By? The whole thing. <laughs> it's a very confusing <laughs> movie. Like, I, I think I enjoyed it. I feel like I still have to let it sit a little bit. So I'm not sure how I'll be able to, like, give a good rating at the end of this podcast. That's fair. But, um, I don't know. I thought I was following it and, like, where the, like, symbolism was going. I really loved, like, all of Emma Stone's, like, monologues, I guess. How she talked about how, like, n none of us matter and we're worthless and just, like, all of that. I really liked that idea. And then, like... A lot of the symbolism, I just, like, I thought I was getting throughout the movie, and then at the end of it, I just, like, was confused, and I even wrote the last thing I said, I give up. I don't think I get the symbolism <laughs> at all. <laughs> so, I think it, my humble opinion in regards to that is that you didn't get it because I don't know that there is much. Or there could be a lot, because I feel like in different scenes, it felt like they were trying to symbolize a different thing, and then a different one, it was a whole different spiel so i feel like it could there's no symbolism or there's a lot of symbolism so my view is this i think that the movie is trying to say a lot of things at once and it's not necessarily taking a position on any of those things and the reason why i say that there might not be any symbolism is because one of my favorite 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 things about this movie is just how meta it is uh -huh, like mm -hmm. how much it just like 
discusses and dissects itself in the script. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, it is, it's it's kind of a, a running joke that it is just a biopic for Michael Keaton. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, he played Batman. Could you be a little bit more subtle with the title? <laughs> like, oh, he played Birdman. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it starts at the very beginning. One of my favorite... Um, uh, one of my favorite lines in the whole movie, and I feel like it starts off this whole thing, is um, when the act, the first actor gets hit in the head with the stage light. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's they're talking about who they can replace him with. And who's the first person he asks? Where do you guys remember? Um, Woody Harrelson. He says, can we get Woody Harrelson? <laughs> yeah. he's no, like, he's doing the Hunger Games. He's like, oh, get Michael Fassbender. He's doing the prequel to the X-Men prequel. <laughs> he's like, what about Jeremy Renner, the, uh, the Hurt Locker guy? He's an Avenger. And he's like, ah, they put him in a cape too. Like, <laughs> I think that this movie is just about like Hollywood and theater and fame and stardom and talent kind of all at once. Uh-huh. And like I said, I don't think that it takes a position on any of those things. It's just about them because we see, these people go through doing this stage production as the movie goes on. And by nature of it being a movie, it's also about film. Like I said, it's also about theater and it's about actors and Hollywood. And it's, it's just a, it's, it's a commentary on all of these things. And so the reason why I think that the symbolism is hard to follow is because I don't know that there really is much symbolism because I think that the movie just explains itself to you. Mm hmm. And the the struggle and the conflict and what everything means is just thrown out there. There's not a lot of like layers to dissect, I don't think, because everything that the movie wants to say, it literally just says. Most of it just comes out of the actors' mouths. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess like where my confusion lies is because I feel like the whole movie, even just like the way that it's filmed, like you're just following these people around, and it was just like this idea that like. Birdman and like his past fame I guess is just kind of like following him around everywhere and is like that voice in his head saying like you're better than all these people and we can do all these things like we can fly and move things and all this crap and then and then when the filming kind of ends following you around like there's like a clear cut after we're giving all spoilers Mm -hmm. right after he shoots his nose off (laughs) (laughs) Which is just hilarious, by the way. Um, But there's just, like, a clear cut, and, like, Birdman isn't... Well, I guess he still is there. But, like, I just totally lost my train of thought, so that's a problem. Anyway, this whole time, like, watching the movie, I was thinking, like, oh, you know, like, this is about fame and how it can get to your head and ego and, like, his ego was just like following him around and he thought he was better than all of these people because he was a celebrity and he was Birdman, but like he was trying to put that away and like put that aside because he wanted to do something more meaningful but really his ego was just following him around everywhere and causing all of these problems but then he like embraces it and like decides to still be Birdman or whatever in his weird flying around New York City scene (laughs) but then like I don't know. That's why it was confusing to me because I thought that he would need to like let go of that ego in order to like do what he was trying to do. 
and that's why he like shot himself i guess but really he like embraced it and so i was just like was lost on the message there because i was like wait a second i don't get it anymore so i think the message is this and and maybe i speak too generally when i say there's no symbolism i I, there there is depth there and i guess just to me it, it they say everything i think that the message there is that I think the commentary is that Hollywood is just full of cheap thrills, right? Yeah. And especially as time has gone on, um, specifically, I know that the Oscars are not the end-all be-all of film quality and all that kind of stuff, but even if you look at where things have gone, even in the last several years, um, compared to where they were, you look at the Oscar nominees in like the 80s or the 90s, right? And a lot of them were huge blockbusters and... People went and saw these amazing films. You have things like Saving Private Ryan or uh, Schindler's List or Silence of the Lambs. I guess Saving Private Ryan didn't win infamously thanks to Harvey Weinstein. But um, you have all of these huge, important, deep movies with you know incredible messages and they're so well made. And they made a ton of money. But then ever since the resurgence of superhero movies, which ironically came through the Dark Knight trilogy... A superhero movie, uh, <laughs> which is both a superhero movie and deep and with a message and all that kind of stuff. But ever since the resurgence of these superhero movies and putting everybody in a cape, as he says it, Hollywood has drifted away from these artistic statements and away from uh, these movies that mean something. And you see the Academy not able to go to blockbuster movies and select them to be nominated. And so you end up with these um, indie films getting nominated because that's where the actual art is right and Mm -hmm. even so last year was the best picture category was even with more films so what was it like five years ago that they started allowing 10 films to be nominated i think so yeah um even with 10 films as opposed to the five that they had for 80 years before that these last year were the combined lowest grossing best picture nominations ever so you see the shift away from actual art and cinema to just consumer grade trash, right? And I think that's what the movie is talking about is he he's he was part of that movement towards trash and he's trying to find his way back. Especially when he talks about um the guy in the audience giving him the the cocktail napkin that says, you know, thank you for a real performance. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get back to that. But he's so hung up like you said on Birdman and he can't get away from Birdman and then you have Edward Norton come in who is this actual actor you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like he's actually talented and he actually embodies these roles and it comes off as so natural to him but that's because he's sacrificed everything else in his life Mm -hmm. to be that actor right and so I think the message is that actual art and actual meaning tends to come from just as a general statement tends to come from a place of suffering or a place of sadness. And so it's once Michael Keaton stops thinking so hard and trying to be Edward Norton, essentially not him specifically, but in persona Mm -hmm. and he actually starts to lose things and sacrifice things and shoots himself in the face for the sake of art Mm -hmm. that he is finally able to take off the mask, both literally and figuratively. Right. 
I don't feel like he shoots himself in the face because of art. Why does he do it? I think he does it because he's, like, fed up. Like, just with the scenes before, he kind of, like, embraces Birdman again and thinks, like, oh, I'm this, like, big, powerful person or whatever, even though he's not. Yeah. And then he just, like, walks in and he's, like, all confident, I think, because he's let the voice in and, like, let it kind of take over. That's interesting. And so I think that he shoots himself in the face because he's just done. Like, I think he really wanted to just shoot himself in the head. I semi-agree with you. I agree with you that he was done, but I think that it was because he was finally able to push Birdman out. But he doesn't. Like, Birdman's still there in the last scene. Yeah, on the toilet. But he's still there. And if you listen to him, Michael Keaton... Um, as he's walking out of the bathroom, he kind of whispers, he's like, F you, under his breath to Birdman. Oh, really? I <laughs> yeah. totally didn't hear that. Yeah, and like Birdman doesn't try and talk to him, he doesn't try and get him to do anything, and he just, he doesn't engage with him, he just walks away from him. See, and my thought was just that, like, he finally gave in to Birdman, and so Birdman was just like, I did it, and maybe saying F you, because... He doesn't want that, but Birdman's still there. See, and I think that the scene between him and his ex-wife is pretty key there, though. Yeah. As far as where his character is at in that moment. And he's realizing realizing that... Because to me, I think that the movie is also a commentary on the trade-off between fame and family in a lot of ways, right? Like, Edward Norton is famous, and he's a fantastic actor, but he doesn't have family for that right like he yeah. doesn't have genuine ties with anybody and, and a connection with anybody um and then i think michael keaton finally realizes that not only does he not he's he's famous it's it's like the what's the critic say she's like you're not an actor you're a celebrity mm-hmm. so he realizes that he's not a true artist like he wants to be but he also doesn't have these connections with people that he wants. Like mm-hmm. he ruined his marriage. His daughter and him have a, a rocky relationship. So I think that he real and by retelling that story of, you know, this horrible night in his life when it seems like that was probably a, a signature moment when his marriage fell apart, he's realizing, Oh, I don't, I'm not a true artist and I don't have family. Like what did I even get out of this life? And he realizes that it's too late on one hand, so he decides to just go for it on the other. Maybe. Like, that makes sense. I just didn't feel like I didn't get the moment that I needed when he really, like, let go of that. Because it never showed him, like, letting go of Birdman. He just embraced it. Yeah. So I guess that's just what I can't get over. Because even at the movie. beginning, the if you remember the quote that the movie opens with, it says, you know, and did you get what you wanted out of this life after all? Mm-hmm. And the person replies, yes. And it says, and what is that? And it says, to be beloved. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of the, the dichotomy here is like you're either beloved by the people or by the people in your life. And you can't really have both. Yeah. And he realizes that by trying to have both, he got neither. So he mm-hmm. picks one. I don't know. Hmm. What do you think, Sid? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um... I don't know. I think in terms of his reasoning for shooting himself, I feel like it's, I don't know. I feel like it's both 
for the sake of art and just kind of his own sanity, kind of. I do kind of feel like he gives up on Birdman, and then after he, um, Birdman leaves him, and he's kind of left with, oh, what did I do with my life? I ruined it. I have no family. I have a terrible relationship with my daughter. I have no money. Um, so I feel like that's when he's kind of, you know, what's the point anymore? Decides to kill himself. But I also think that the way that he decides to kill himself in front of a huge audience on opening night is very telling in that he wants to die, but he wants to go out with a bang and he wants to like kind of suffer for his art. So I can see both. Well, and I think that one of the biggest reasons um, why I side with the he wants to be a true artist thing is, I mean, it's kind of on the nose, but at the end when he's laying in bed and Zach Galifianakis is going over the, the review and the news and all this kind of stuff and he's now got his Twitter feed and he's got 80,000 followers in a day and Zach Galifianakis literally asks him, this is what you wanted, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it's a little bit on the nose, like I said, compared to the, the beginning. But in that moment, he finally has what he wants mm-hmm. and he can live that life that he wants to. Um, and even it seems like his relationship with his daughter might be improving. So it looks like he might be able to have both, but I think that he did get what he wanted, which was true artistry. Right. Mm -hmm. And he just jumps out of a window because he had what he wanted and that he realized that I guess what he thought he wanted wasn't what he actually wanted. Yeah. And you don't feel like that's just kind of true in life is that you don't really know what you want until you have it. Yeah. And hopefully you're wise enough to recognize when you have what you want (laughs) (laughs) and not mess it up. (laughs) So I don't know. Yeah. I I just, I feel like there's so much of this movie that's up for a million interpretations. Mm -hmm. So like I've even tried to determine for myself what I interpret the ending as. And there's like four different, ones that i'm happy with so i think he killed himself i do too i don't know because you think he's got powers well i don't know because part of me likes realism in movies and Mm -hmm. what's the most realistic thing that could happen but also part of me enjoys like the magic of it Mm -hmm. so i think ultimately i would think that he kills himself but i don't know just the way that emma stone the way she reacts in that last scene kind of throws me for a loop there. It's like the top in Inception. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. See, and I, but I, I think that kind of the two ways that it could go is either he killed, like he jumped and killed himself, or he didn't actually jump out of the window, right? We see um, from his scene where he's flying around that the camera can be an unreliable narrator, right? Mm-hmm. Because you see him fly around and then it gets back to the theater and the cab driver's going after <laughs> yeah. him to pay. So you know what I mean? So the camera, which the camera really does act as the narrator in this movie, mm-hmm. the camera can lie to us. So I don't think it's out of, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that it lied to us in that scenario. And yeah. that maybe he's in a corner where she didn't see him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he killed himself. I think he jumped out the window. I think that's poetic yeah as depressing as it is yeah i mean yeah, i mean that nose was awful oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah he saw that and he was just like oh no i can't this is it this. it was funny because he just really looked like a bird with his, <laughs> with his broken nose well, that's and what i'm like saying <laughs> is so 
that that is one of the pieces of symbolism is the the face mask at the end looks like a beak yeah yeah so he finally able is he's finally able to take off the birdman mask Mm -hmm. at the Mm -hmm. end yeah but that nose is pretty spectacular for just shooting it off your face so you gotta give him props for that good plastic surgeons that's true does he say get Meg Ryan? Get Meg Ryan's person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's another one of the things that I love about this movie is I love that it very, very clearly takes place in the real world. Mm-hmm. And like all the little references that they get to real actors. I love the story that he tells about George Clooney on the airplane. Oh, yeah. Which is funny because George Clooney also played Batman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My favorite Batman. Uh, the Bat Nipple. Bat Nipple. <laughs> <laughs> um,. Which I think that's just another layer to it is that, like, again, the movie is about Michael Keaton grappling with his lack of relevancy. Mm -hmm. So by telling that story, like, he's very directly saying, like, I'm not even the most famous Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Or, like, I'm not even the Batman that people would miss the most if two Batmans died at once. (laughs) 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 I'm not even the one they'd miss. That's funny. I did, I mean, I mentioned this earlier with, like, Emma Stone's monologues, but... I did like the whole theme throughout of talking about how people are super insignificant and like just don't matter. And like she had the toilet paper roll where she like marked everything like every thousand years yeah. the world has been here. And he takes the one piece of he wipes paper. his mouth with it. <laughs> um, no, I did like that as well, because I think that another one of the themes of this movie is that like that art is extremely personal mm-hmm. and it is never going to matter to anybody as much as it matters to you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. As the one doing it. So like, I think that that's an important lesson to learn as an artist, whatever you may be doing. Like, it's like I play music. Right. And like thinking about that idea, like no matter how good of a song I write or how good of an album I can release or how good of a podcast we do even like, it's never going to matter to anybody as much as it matters to us. Yeah. And so it, it, it almost, I feel like it does kind of beg the question of like, at what point does it stop being worth it? Mm-hmm. If you're tearing yourself apart and you're going like full Daniel day Lewis <laughs> and like, like she talks about, she's like, you know, you're going to play for 800 people, but the only thing on their minds is where they're going to get coffee after. Mm-hmm. Like you think about it and like, you think about something like, so like think, Becca, I think, to, like, the Phantom Thread, right? Like, yeah. Did you see Phantom Thread? Mm-hmm. I just bring up Daniel Day-Lewis as an example because he's, like, the method actor, yeah. right? And, like, I loved Phantom Thread, but Becca didn't, right? Right. That's safe to say. Mm. What did you think of Phantom I Thread? I really liked it. So I really liked it as well. Mm-hmm. But even at the same time, like, how many times a day do I think about the Phantom Thread? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what did... I, I, obviously, that wasn't the most extreme of the roles that Daniel Day-Lewis has put himself through. I don't know. But... He's a nightmare to work with. He's, I imagine that Edward Norton kind of represents the Daniel Day-Lewis's of the world, the Jake Gyllenhaal's of the world, <laughs> who are like these crazy method actors, the Christian Bale's of the world. You know what are I mean? better than Jared Leto. Yeah, the Jared Leto's of Do the world. Do not be the Jared Leto <laughs> of the world. Do not. As I'm saying, so like, at what point does it stop being worth it? Like, If you're making life hell for yourself and everybody around you, and like yeah. nobody really is going to care about it as much as you do like i don't know it almost like questions whether or not art is pointless and i don't think it is but i don't know it's like i said it it does 
it asks some things and then doesn't give an answer. It's true. And I think it shows really well, like, each of the actors and actresses and how their lives are affected from these performances. Mm -hmm. Like, it personally shows, like, all of them. Like, even, what, Leslie? Is that who it is? And she's, like, freaking out and, like, runs back to her room and is like, I just want to be on Broadway and... Like, I just want to make it or whatever. And it shows that, like, it's everything to her as well. So I think it does a good job of showing everybody's perspective in the movie. For sure. Um, Again, I think there's a lot of things that the movie comments on without delving too deep into. And I think that this is a movie that has probably become more relevant since it's been released. Um. At least according to me, because again, like this was kind of at the beginning of my deep dive into film. Mm -hmm. But um, a few of the things that I noticed as far as it just commenting on Hollywood and fame and all of that um, is that basically crap is what sells. Mm -hmm. Even there's that that part where he's giving the the press conference in his room and he's like, that's why I said no to Birdman 4. And the... (laughs) The Asian reporter's like, you're doing Birdman 4? <laughs> like, um, but that's what we gobble up. Um, again, the fact that real art is difficult and doesn't come easy. It requires sacrifice and it requires you to um, to, to really put into it. Um, but then as far as Hollywood on a larger scale, uh, sexual assault, anybody? Um, <laughs> yes. But I think we all know the scene. Yes. But then it just kind of gets brushed off. Like yeah. mm-hmm. he legitimately assaulted her. Mm-hmm. And everybody's just like, eh. Yeah. It was a good take, right? Like, I think, well, it's also because it's also very telling on uh, Leslie. That's, is that what you mm-hmm. said? Okay. It's very telling on what her focus is. Because at first she's upset that he assaulted her. And then she gets in the dressing room and she starts going off about how she just wanted to be on Broadway. So I feel like. Yeah, that's a, a very telling transition from what she was upset about. and Well, and there's even the conversation where she's like, I have no self-respect. And she, the other girl's like, you're an actress, honey. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I think, again, that's so like relevant and true that so many, I would say actresses specifically, They'll do anything for yeah. a part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, also, maladjusted children of stars. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love the, the... It's kind of a throwaway conversation about the Malibu house. They're like, yeah, but that's your daughter's house. Mm. Like, she just has a house. Yeah. yeah. Um, like you said, issues of self-esteem and validation... And then Zach Galifianakis is cracking me up. Basically, the idea that the producer is the one who just stops everything from falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's just running around like a chicken with his head cut off, like, trying to keep things together while all of these, like, overly pretentious, self-important, artsy-fartsy people <laughs> slug it out with their demons. He's just running around being like, we need to have a show, guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> so that, that cracked me up. Um, again, the whole, you're no actor, you're a celebrity line. Yeah. I love that. And then again at the end, he freaking shoots himself in the face and they wait a second. And then start clapping. And then start clapping. <laughs> They're like, oh, this is great. 
and then celebrate him for it. Like, yeah. Why you celebrate somebody for shooting themselves in the face? Yeah. I don't know. And the fact that, like, the film being a commentary on, like, pretension and artistry and all that kind of stuff is, like, an overly artsy, super pretentious, very technically difficult film. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's layers to it, man. Tiramisu. <laughs> as Macklemore would say. <laughs> so I liked all of those things. Let's see. I did write down here uh, another thing that I wrote down. Did you guys have anything you wanted to say on that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. no. No, I think we got it. Okay. Um, last week, when we talked about David Fincher's Gone Girl, Anybody out there who's listening who has not listened to last week's episode on Gone Girl, I think it was one of our better episodes. That was a yeah, good one. I you agree. should go check it out. Um, I said, can Trent Reznor please just score every movie? And then we turn around and watch this, and I have to eat my words because, like Becca said, the music is incredible, and I don't think Trent Reznor could have done this. Nope. He's not a jazzy guy. But it's so good. Just like the drums. Like, I want drums to just play every time I talk and everywhere I walk. Have you guys seen those videos on Facebook of the dude who does the drumming under, like, King of the Hill or, Mm-mm. like, he'll he'll drum along with people talking. I wish I had his name handy. It's so cool. That's exactly what it reminded me of. Yeah. But he, so he'll, like, sync it up so it makes it sound like people are, like, rapping over the beat or whatever because he just, like, <laughs> finds the natural rhythm of their speech and it's really great. It reminded me of that as well. Um What else did you guys have? I saw you taking a lot of notes, both of you guys. Um, I, think I really liked uh, the scene where Emma Stone and Michael Keaton are arguing because he caught her smoking pot. And I think just her monologue is so good. And I especially really love after she finishes what she's saying and she knows, like, immediately after she says it, she blinks a little bit and you can just see... It just, like, sinks in what she actually said to him and just how cutting it was and how awful it was. So I think it's just just a really good scene on her acting ability and his. And I just thought it was a really great monologue. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, this was a better performance from her than what she actually won Best Actress for. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I love La La Land, but... This I feel like this is, it's a different kind of acting. Mm-hmm. Correct. I feel like it's more effective. And this isn't a role I feel like she usually plays, Mm-mm. and I think she did a fantastic job with it. Yeah. I think probably the closest analog to this role of hers would be like Easy A. Yeah. Which is a pretty underrated movie. I like that's, Easy that's A. That's a good one. I, I haven't actually seen it. It's pretty good. Easy A is great. Mm-hmm. Especially in terms of like a teen comedy. Yeah. There's been worse teen comedies. Very true. All right. Well, that leads me into, I guess, one of my questions, which are, uh, what are your guys' favorite scenes in the movie and or performances from people? Hmm. Well, I think, I know Sid just said it, but I think one of my favorite scenes is the monologue with Emma Stone and Michael Keaton. And I think every scene with the two of them, I liked the most because I just enjoyed their relationship not that I thought it was a good relationship but I enjoyed watching it and I felt like those scenes were all very powerful so I agree yeah because I think that 
I think that the best scenes in the movie are probably between Michael Keaton and Edward Norton and Michael Keaton and Emma Stone. Yeah. And then, by extension, the scenes between Emma Stone and Edward Norton. Because, again, I think that there's that that conflict between, you know, art and genuine connection slash family. Mm-hmm. And so it's him battling with those two priorities every time he talks to one of them, right? So, like, Edward Norton kind of represents the art side of it, where Emma Stone represents the, like, genuine human connection and family side of it. Mm-hmm. And then the scenes where the two of them get together are interesting because, you know, they're almost like, it's interesting. So, um, I've talked about this channel before. There's a YouTube channel called lessons from the screenplay that they don't do it on this film, but they break down. There's a video talking about, I think it's the Joker in the dark Knight, And it talks about how basically the villain or the antagonist in a film should be like it should be born from the protagonist like it should come from the main character but it should be the flip side of them right so like it Mm -hmm. should be the the conflict should come from a challenging of the protagonist's views right and i think that if you think about it in that way that changes how you think about what an antagonist is because when you think antagonist you think of like a villain or just like a genuinely bad person, but those are always the most boring antagonists. Right. So -hmm. I think that where there's this conflict between, like I said, artistry and family, those are the two antagonists in this movie because they both are born out of Michael Keaton, but are both challenging the other side, if that makes sense. Yeah. So he's got this conflict within him and each of the two of them are antagonists because they are challenging the other side. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's why those interactions are so interesting. Yeah, I like that. I definitely wasn't thinking about that, but I think it's true. I don't know. Ever since I saw that video, really highly recommended again. Lessons from the screenplay, the one about the Dark Knight, um, talks about what an antagonist is. Ever since I saw that, it kind of changes how I watch movies. Be- specifically thinking about where, like, what the conflict is, because movies need conflict, right? Yeah. And with a movie like this, it's kind of difficult sometimes to think where does that conflict come from? Who's fighting? because it's really mostly internal, but you have these pieces of him represented by Emma Stone and Edward Norton. So I think it's interesting. Um, I wrote down four scenes that are my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going overboard with two scenes. But What's your other one? Um, Actually, well, three maybe. I mean, That's fine. I have four, so okay, you can have three. Good. Um, I mean, just the half-naked run through Times Square is just a great scene. That's one of mine. <laughs> um, and I especially like kind of the after scene when he gets into the theater because I think it's it shows how far he'll go for his art. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and then I also really like the scene um, when him, Michael Keaton and Edward Norton are are fighting. You're just stealing all that. I'm sorry. <laughs> and um, but I especially love the part where Michael Keaton is, you know, telling the fake story about how his dad abused him. And I think that that's just I don't know the way that he can switch it. I think it's that's also kind of symbolizing how some like celebrities as the critic says it um they're kind of viewed as like kind of one trick pony like oh you're only an action star but i think it also shows casting yeah i think it shows that you know a lot of these people while they may be a certain kind of actor now they started out 
very versatile. Um, and they can still have that talent years later. So those are my favorite scenes. Yeah, so I wrote down that one, uh, them fighting, mostly because it's hilarious. It's, that's a good it's them just, like, scrapping around on the floor and, like, Edward Norton's all slippery. And, and those two guys two are guys. just watching. Those guys are just watching. Um, the other, another one that I wrote down was the confrontation between Birdman and Ray in his dressing room, where it's really just um, Michael Keaton throwing things around and yelling, but you've got the... I, I love the Birdman voice. I think they did such a good job with that. I don't know if he did the voice for that or if it was somebody else. It sounds like him. But they did such a good job with that as far as the two of them arguing and um, him throwing things around. And then again, they, just the comic relief, Zach Galifianakis comes in and he's like, hey man, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, I think that if they're, I think that there's third antagonist if i may and that's birdman Mm -hmm. who represents basically the idea of just straight fame at the expense of everything else right yeah um and that's the most direct confrontation that they have is in the dressing room Mm -hmm. um and the i also wrote down the underwear through Times square but specifically after he comes back into the theater because i think that that's almost a warm-up round for it's interesting how they use that ending scene of the play to display where his character is at different times, mm-hmm. right? Because in the first one, it's when Edward Norton has a boner. And so, you know, you talk about where Michael Keaton's character is. In that scene, he's completely overshadowed by him, mm-hmm. right? The second time around is um, when he comes in in his underwear. And he's like, finally, like he's, he's sacrificing his dignity for the sake of that scene. And even to the point where he comes in and people are laughing at him and he points his finger guns at the crowd and tells yeah. them to shut up. <laughs> and people are like, Oh, I loved that he had finger guns too. Because I, I, I don't know. It just was like more powerful than a real gun in that scene. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then finally at the end when he shoots himself and we see that he's like fully willing to sacrifice for it. Mm-hmm. Um, the fourth one that I wrote down that I really liked was uh, Birdman and Ray in the street where he's like flying behind him and following him along and then starts calling meteors and helicopters. I just think that's <laughs> such an awesome sequence and so well made. And I think that that's where that to me is where I become convinced that he doesn't actually have powers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that's further solidified by him coming out of the cab but like you see him doing these really subtle things like throwing things around or like turning things you're like does he have powers it's like no he doesn't like that's all in his head mm-hmm. but I think that's a really great sequence with the mechanical bird comes out of the sky and like it just gets more <laughs> and more ridiculous yeah i love it anybody have any other scenes no i think that about so. covers the best of them yeah all right well i think i know what you guys are going to say uh, but favorite character and or performance? Um, Emma Stone and Michael Keaton. <laughs> I think mine would go Michael Keaton, then Emma Stone. I think mine goes Michael Keaton, then Edward Norton. Because I'm a huge Edward Norton fanboy. I love him. Please do more movies, Ed. Um, except for the Hulk. Don't do that. I just realized he Don't played a superhero too. Uh-huh. <laughs> Heavens, has Emma Stone been in a superhero no, movie? No, but well, she was in Spider-Man. 
Good. Is Zach Galifianakis? I don't think so. Has he done yeah. a super? Hang on, I'm gonna check. Has he done a superhero movie? That, that would be really amazing funny. if he has. Which, by the way, that guy is a dramatic actor. He's good. We got a regular. Yeah. We got a regular Jonah Hill on our hands. <laughs> so he hasn't done a superhero movie, but he did do three Hangovers. <laughs> so I think those that are superhero movies in themselves. That might count. <laughs> I mean, they're in the same vein as far as. Yeah. You know, lowest common denominator, consumer trash. Except yeah. for the, fir- the first one is funny. He was in G-Force. That could mm. be... Is that a superhero a, movie? That's they're, the guinea pig, They're right? guinea pigs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the world of guinea pigs, I would assume Definitely that they're superheroes. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll go with it. Uh, this is really his first and only, like, really dramatic role, I think. As far as I can tell. Do good, more. Good job, whoever cast this. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We got a Jonah Hill on our hands. Have you guys seen the video of, like, everyone saying mean things to Jonah Hill over, like, very sad music? No. <laughs> it's it's really sad. Like, everyone's... Sad. Like, there's this one. He's talking to Brad Pitt while they're doing Moneyball promotions. And one of the questions was, like, he asked Brad Pitt, what of your colleagues and, like... Um, co-stars would you want to switch talent with and he's like you know like even one in the same room and Brad Pitt laughs and he's like no I'd want to do a serious actor <laughs> and Jonah Hill's just like <laughs> so try and find it I don't know probably just type Jonah Hill sad and maybe it'll <laughs> pop up but he deserves better I love Jonah Hill do you know that him and Emma Stone are doing a TV show Jonah Hill and Emma Stone huh? yeah. Mm. yeah cool alright um We've all seen Between Two Pi- or Between Two Ferns, right? I've seen nope. like clips. It's freaking great. I the Justin Bieber episode is amazing. Okay, I'll have to watch it. You gotta watch it. Um Yeah. So those would be my favorite performances and characters. I really do think that Michael Keaton is a fascinating character, especially in a world as celebrity obsessed as we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this would be a valuable thing for people to see. Also, I just remembered that Michael Keaton was in the newest Spider-Man, so. Oh, he plays the Vulture, right? Uh-huh. Birdman. It's <gasps> oh going back. His costume <laughs> even kind of looks like, I haven't seen it, but he, it's pretty good. his costume looks like the Birdman costume, yeah, right? Yeah, I'd say so. Like, kind of the wings pictures. are very yeah. similar. Yeah. Um, yeah. My other favorite character, I love Edward Norton's character. I think he's fascinating, too. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think he represents the Daniel Day Lewises of the world. Apparently, he's supposed to be a very similar representation of himself. Oh yeah, that's what I've heard. Is he that horrible to work yeah, with? Yeah, he's pretty rough to work with, I guess. Hmm. So basically, everybody just played themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like it. I just don't know why he did. Um, the Incredible Hulk. We all thought it was gonna be a good one. I'm sure he was misguided too. It's yeah. better than. The Eric Bana Hulk. Well, that's... That's for darn sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He's... I mean, he's really good friends with, like, Wes Anderson. He's in oh, a bunch yeah, of Wes yeah. Anderson movies. Um, he did Kingdom of Heaven, which was fine. I forgot he was in The Italian Job. That's a great movie. Oh, yeah. Um, Fight Club. American History X. You want to talk about a movie that's more relevant now than it was when oh it was boy. made. That's a great movie. Very, very difficult to watch. Very amazing. 
But yeah, I think that's all I have to say about Birdman. I think it's great. Oh, one more thing. I there's not a whole more to say than just how amazing it is, but the freaking camera work in this oh movie. Oh my gosh. It really is incredible. It's so good. Again, I don't want to steal from trivia, but um the movie was filmed over two months and it was filmed in order. Right? It's like they didn't feel they filmed everything completely in order. And because of the idea of like the camera not breaking, there's not a single deleted scene. Every single scene that was written was used mm-hmm. because they had to to preserve the continuity. Yeah, that's crazy. Which is awesome. So good job on writing the script, guys. You yeah, won an Oscar for it. So well um, deserved. Let's see. Let's do some ratings, or do we want to do trivia first? Do we do trivia before ratings? I don't remember. I don't remember. I think it's trivia then ratings. Okay, I don't trivia. have too much though. So. Let's hear the trivia. Um. Hang okay. Trivia. Okay. Um. On the same vein as the camera work, because it was so heavily choreographed um it only took them two weeks to edit it which i'm sure was really nice for them uh let's see i mean what do you really have to edit you just kind of got to pick the best takes right yeah that's true <laughs> which when they're so long i feel like it's just the ones that you managed to get through yeah. yeah um let's see yeah so another thing uh because it there's one uninterrupted shot it took them a long time to finish the script um, and they had to be happy with every single scene. Let's see. Um, so they took like a running tally of who messed up scenes the most because they're such long scenes. I mean, it's pretty easy to mess it up. Emma Stone messed up the most. Zach Galifianakis actually messed up the least, mm-hmm. mostly because he like when he would mess it up, he'd kind of play off, play it off, and it worked out fine. Um, I mean, he was such a kind of a quirky guy in the movie that I feel like he could get away with that. Yeah, like he, I feel like he would be one of the characters that he doesn't have to nail every single line. He could kind of yeah say whatever. And Emma Stone, maybe more than anybody else, had to nail every single line. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's one. Um, she said that they were almost done with like a perfect shot. I'm pretty sure it was the um, the monologue with. Michael Keaton, what you know about drugs and everything? I think that's the one that she messed up because they said they had to restart it because she went around a corner too fast, and I could definitely see that being that part. Yeah, you're all hyped up yeah. in the moment. <laughs> yeah, um, and then a light falls on your head. Oh boy. <laughs> um, average scene probably took about twenty takes, and if it was a really good take, it took them about fifteen. So. Man. That's a lot. Um, in his own words, was it Alejandro G. How do you say his last name? Inyaritu, I think. All right, I'm just going to let you jump in every time I need Inyaritu. to. Inyaritu. Um, the ending came to him in a dream. Seems very dreamlike. Yeah. I get that. Mm, apparently, Mark, Martin Scorsese does have a cameo in this because uh, Zach Alphanakis says that he is just to, you know, talk Michael Keaton into doing the show. Turns out he's not there. But you can actually see him uh, when Michael Keaton comes in in his underwear. I was looking for him, but I couldn't find oh, him. Oh, really? Yeah. That's I looked. cool. And the last one is in the final scene when Sam brings her dad the flowers. Lilac uh, blossoms are supposed to be an unlucky flower that signify death. Mostly because 
of their strong smell. It's supposed to cover up the smell of death. So he did kill himself. Yeah, I think that's the thing that kind of nails it for me that he killed himself. All right. Well, all right. Um, let's see where on the Western scale, Birdman falls. Becca, final thoughts and your rating out of 10. Hmm. I feel like I still need to let this sit for a while, so I might need to, like, come back to the rating. Are you going to abstain? No, I'll give it a rating right now. Do you just need to hear us? No, I'll go first. I just mean, like, in, like, a week or so, I might like it better. (laughs) Next week, she'll give us an updated version. Yes. But I think it's a fantastic film, and I think there's a lot of really, really good qualities about it like specifically the music and the camera work and the acting and a lot of it is really really good but I don't think it like hit me the way I feel like it should have and so I didn't enjoy it as much as I feel like I should have so I don't think I can give it a rating as high as I would like to but for some reason it keep it keeps reminding me of um Inside Lewin Davis a great comparison actually and i i'm not even sure really the reason i think i have to keep thinking about it but mostly just that idea of like searching for fame and trying to like find your place and your thing or whatever but inside lewin davis was so much better to me in a lot of ways like maybe I not that. i could see that being put together as a film necessarily because there's a lot of cool qualities in this one but it just like hit me stronger and had a stronger message. And so because I can think of a movie that I enjoy more, I feel like I can't give this as high of a score as I want to. So I will score it a 7.8. Heavens, that's low. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> I might change my mind later, but I You're just... You're so brutal. 7.8. Well, it's just because... I think I need to think about it more and it just didn't hit me the way I wanted to and I ended the movie just kind of feeling confused so while there are a lot of great qualities that's what gets it up to 7.8 which I still feel like is a kind of high score but it just wasn't there for me all right so I think that high sevens is where we put like oh brother where art though and I think this is a significantly better movie than that that's true. I think I did rate Oh Brother Where Out There in the high seven. I think that's like where our collective score came to. And I do agree that this movie is a lot better than Oh Brother Where Out Thou. So maybe I should have just abstained from rating. But we'll come back to you next week. Yeah, because I need to think about it some more. Okay. Sid? Um, so I'm really glad I gave this one uh, a second chance. First time, I, I think I may have hated it the first time, which I can understand why Becca's a little confused on it. It's it's a weird movie, that's for sure, um, and it has very confusing elements to it, but I also think that's what makes it so great, and yeah, just the the cinematic value of it with the camera work and the music and the acting makes it so well done, and I just think, I'm just so glad I watched it for a second time, because I would have gone my entire life thinking this was a bad movie, and it's not. It's a great movie, and probably the best of the nominated for this year really close to whiplash though oh whiplash is so good so good i would say between those two those are the most deserving but i would probably rate this as a 9.2 
That's good. Uh, just for the people out there, uh, Best Picture nominees this year, that year, were Birdman, American Sniper, Boyhood, Selma, Grand Budapest Hotel, Imitation Game, Theory of Everything, and Whiplash. And I would agree with that. I think that this and Whiplash are... I haven't seen all of them, to be honest. I haven't seen Boyhood, Selma, or Grand Budapest Hotel. But I think that Birdman and Whiplash stand head and shoulders above the rest of the nominees that I've seen. American Sniper is a great movie, but I like these better. Mm-hmm. They're about drummer. Or they got really good drummers in them. So there you go. Um, and I think that maybe one of the reasons why it didn't hit you as hard as it, as you maybe wanted it to Becca is that it has a lot lighter tone than something like inside Lewin Davis. It's yeah. definitely a lot more lighthearted and it almost seems to skip if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Rather than walk, it skips. It's a very, very, very fast-paced movie. Yeah. And the drumming only helps that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love it. I love the camera work. I love the performances. I love the writing. I want Inyaratu to do another thing. But um, as far as I can tell, he doesn't even have anything in the works since The Revenant. So what are you doing? Um, I'd rate this one a 9.4 out of 10. So with a 9.4, a 9.2, and a 7.8, we probably end up somewhere in the high 8s. Sorry to bring your scores mid, down. Mid-8s, mid, mid actually, probably. Ask me again next week. We can we will, for visit sure. it in the corner. We will definitely ask you again next week. <laughs> and that's Birdman, everybody. Yeah. I'm a little disappointed that Becca didn't like it as much as I wanted her to. I'm sorry. I, I, I think it's a great movie. I really do think it's fantastic. 7. But... <laughs> Just give me a week. I probably week. will mull it over. I will probably raise the score. Watch it again. I don't know if I want to watch it. It's yet. only two hours. It's not too long. That's true. It really isn't too long, but and it flies by. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, other topics. I think I'm going to be pretty boring. I don't know that I've really. I don't Can know that I? I've watched a movie. Oh, please. Before we talk about any movies that we've seen, did you guys hear about the Oscars today? Have you heard their announcement? Oh, yeah. That I would like to discuss. um, They added a new category in most popular movie. It's like achievement in popular film, right? Oh. Which. What's the criteria? I'm not behind that at all. Yeah. Because at first I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But you think, like, their achievement is they made billions of dollars. Like, are we going to start nominating Transformers for Oscars? Yeah, like, I was thinking, like, in 20 years, are people going to be like, oh, yeah, uh, Jurassic World won an Oscar. Like, if I just don't like it. I'm not a fan of it. Well, and just because I, I think the criteria is so... It's very broad. Vague. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, what does that mean? And I feel like there are much more deserving areas of film that should be added in. Best sequence. Like, don't Best make sequence. a film to be the most popular film. Yeah, like, because you, that's just what we talked about. Because most people don't get into art, really. Yeah. Yeah. Like, in movies, so... I don't know, I just, mm, I thought it was annoying. And then that they are, like, cutting down the time See, that's what See, that's what I'm most pissed about. That's really annoying. Is that they're, they're, they're cutting down the time slot, and they're going to give away certain awards during commercials. Yeah. So I'm like, you're going to take the one moment that the craft guys get, the sound editors, mm-hmm. and um, the visual effects, and the makeup, and the costumes, you're going to take the one time they get the spotlight and you're gonna put it during the commercials because freaking losers can't watch the whole ceremony yeah. i'm like if you want to cut down on your time 
Like maybe don't walk across the street to a showing That's of a wrinkle exactly in time. What maybe I was don't have say. 19 musical numbers. Seriously? Yes. Or just cut out all the musical numbers except for Sufjan Stevens. Just have him play five just, times. Just yes. him. The entire, just play him in the background and the whole time. And then when you let him play, don't cut him short. But then you let <laughs> freaking that Coco song, you let them play that whole thing. Or Mary J. Blige and... Uh, yeah. Coco song I'm is pretty still, good. It is good. <laughs> except for the but beginning. But I didn't really like it live. It wasn't good. Very good live. But the second half was. Can we all agree... That the wrong Sufjan song was nominated? Yes. I don't know, because I love both. It should have been Visions of Gideon. I feel like every single Sufjan song should be nominated for every single award. But if you can only pick one Sufjan song from Call Me By Your Name, Visions of Gideon should have been nominated. Because that scene... It is is the best scene of the whole movie. That scene, scene, head and shoulders, miles beyond anything else that is in that movie... And that so song is what makes it. That's true. But I feel like Mystery of Love kind of encapsulates the entire movie. That's fair. I, I feel like that. Visions of Gideon is kind of the latter half of the movie. Yeah. That's but fair. I'm making my mom watch Call Me By Your Name this weekend, and I'm nervous and excited. So we'll see how it goes. If you ever want to see Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer hardcore make out for a while. <laughs> If I got the movie for you. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's anyway. a great movie. We'll talk about it sometime just to have Sid cry on the podcast. We really should watch it soon. I will cry. Okay. It's a good movie. Yeah. Anyway. It's one that I would like to revisit because I feel like I didn't like it as much as I will on a second viewing. Yeah, I was surprised after watching it. We walked out and Angie was like, I don't know if I like that. But and I, I was like, I loved last it. Scene. I loved that last scene. Yeah. Holy cow. I'm having <laughs> Christ is crying right now. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and I just I just wanna hug Timothy and just let him know it's okay. Anyway, what movies have you guys seen? I hug him. In that sense, yeah. <laughs> probably. Um oh no, we did. We went and saw eighth grade. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say think? that. Uh full spoilers for eighth grade. Five, four, three, two, one. I loved it. Good. So good. So I loved it so much. The funny thing is, is that after walking out of eighth grade, I told Becca, I was like, I feel like eighth grade hit me the way that Call Me By Your Name was supposed to hit me. You mean me. Lady Bird? Oh, I'm sorry. Lady Bird. Yeah, I could see that. Wrong. Sorry. Yeah. Um, eighth grade hit me the way that Lady Bird hit everybody else. Because Lady Bird, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, it was good, but it was fine. Like, I didn't think it was that great. I was mm-hmm. kind of pissed when it got nominated for Best Picture mm-hmm. and really everything. But I feel like this hit me the way that Ladybird hit everybody else. Mm-hmm. And the, ah, just, oh my gosh. It's so good. I mean, you know, different movies resonate with different people. But yeah, I resonated a lot more with eighth grade. And I said, I honestly thought about you a lot I because of, we I, were best friends in eighth grade. You had to see that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. I'm okay. sad that I had to live through it. And I'm sad that you had to see it. It's okay. At least you had a best friend. That's true. You see, and the funny thing is, one best friend (laughs) still today, one best friend. You're stuck with me forever. You only need one best friend, it's true. That's why they're the best. That's true. Um, for me, I almost saw it as a movie about the dad more than even about her Mm -hmm. because you had to think about the target audience for the film, like, it's not 
targeted towards middle schoolers. Yeah. Right. So I feel like it, like to me, the movie seemed to be more about the dad than about the girl Mm -hmm. as far as, um, I guess we, as people who are not in that stage of life anymore, being able to understand it a little bit better Mm -hmm. because again, while it is about that girl, it also very completely fleshes out the characters of the people around her. And I feel like it's about the dad and about the adults and maybe not even about them, but for them Mm -hmm. more than anything else. Like how to parent a child like this in the, in one of the last scenes when she's asking her dad, if he's sad because she broke me that scene, I started crying in theater because I, me too, actually, I, at that, when I was in eighth grade, I was very shy, very awkward and kind of thinking about that. I'm like, were my parents ever sad because I had to live like that? And it's, I feel like it's a very good way to show parents what it's actually like for yeah. someone who is shy. Because a lot of parents, you see them in movies and they have a shy kid and they're like, you need to go out and make friends. And they're not very sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. And it makes me mad a lot because I would have had no social life if my parents were like that. But they were very encouraging um, and, you know, gently pushed me to go out and make friends. In so a I healthy feel, way. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is a very good way of showing how to parent a child who is very introverted and i loved it yeah and so like i said for me like i didn't necessarily uh, that scene like i said it, it, it broke me like oh i died gosh. in that moment but mm-hmm. um yeah when she says that when she's like how does she how does she put it like I do i do i make you sad yeah, I that's what she yeah. says and so for me it's like you get to know this girl and see her and like yeah she's socially awkward and yeah she doesn't really thrive in these situations and she keeps getting put in these situations by her dad who's just trying to do a good job like i don't think that the dad is a bad dad and i think i love that about the movie that he's not like he's not a bad dad he's a good dad Mm -hmm. he's just doing his best and so like to me the thing that came into my mind is like how could she possibly think that she makes him sad you Mm -hmm. know what i mean because you get to know this girl and you're like she is awesome Mm -hmm. like she's imperfect and pretty difficult to deal with honestly but like how could she possibly think that she makes him sad mm-hmm. and i think that that's a huge wake-up call to maybe a lot of parents and i know for me like thinking about it like thinking about becoming a parent eventually i'm like geez like i never want my kids to think that i want them to know every single day that i love them and that i'm proud of them and and all of that kind of stuff and like but also the dad did such a good job at like recognizing a moment when she put down her wall a little bit and let him connect and, and bond. So I don't know. I just think it's a great movie about parenting (laughs) oddly enough. And just like real life. Like I think the thing I appreciated most about the film is like the discussions I've been able to have after watching it. Like I feel like Andrew and I had a pretty good discussion for a while after the movie, just like talking about, like real life and how it sucks to be in eighth grade and high school and a teenager, but then it ends and it's okay. And I've had a couple different conversations this week and like been thinking a lot about this movie and just how tough life is. So I think I appreciated how real it was and I don't know, just how easy it was to see myself in those situations or like see and understand that it's, like a real situation correct so yeah great movie i think that was really the only movie good. that we watched this week though right 
think so. Yeah. <laughs> We've been bad movie people. We've been really oh, busy. You guys gotta pick up the game. Come on. You will. How many movies have you watched? I don't. Mm, I actually haven't watched a whole lot this week. I've probably watched. Not a whole lot for me. It's still a lot. I probably watched like four movies this week. <laughs> I, I, I saw Mission Impossible yesterday. Oh, I want to see that so bad. It was so good. I want to see yeah. that so bad. I. I think one of the best action movies in recent years. I love Tom Cruise. He's I he's not my favorite, but I really love him in these movies. I watch him in Collateral. Have you seen Collateral? Why oh, can't? Jamie Foxx, Tom Cruise, Jada Pinkett Smith. I don't know that one. Add that to your list. Okay. That's a great movie. All right, I'll do that right now. But it was really good. Um, last 20 minutes were so stressful. I got out of the theater and I was like, Mom, I think my ulcer's back. She's <laughs> like, oh my gosh, what? I was like of the movie it was so stressful she's like oh my gosh you can't do that to me sid <laughs> as long as you're adding movies to your list uh tom cruise movies have you seen vanilla sky no but i hear it's pretty weird have you seen jerry Maguire? no okay add both of those to oh your list oh my gosh i already <laughs> was trying to eliminate no, add something those. add right. those very good tom cruise movies okay fine this is what happens when my two favorite people in the world both love movies just a non-stop <laughs> list of movies that i have to watch for both of them i love it <laughs> i'm the one that wasn't that into movies somehow <laughs> i'm here <laughs> on a podcast about movies i love it though i do like movies <laughs> well i will be out of town for several days so I'm going to get on Netflix and see what I can download and hopefully be able to get some good ones. Last time I went out of town, I watched Man on the Moon with Jim Carrey about Andy oh, Kaufman. How was that? Fantastic. Okay. Loved it. Immediately followed it by watching the Netflix documentary, Jim and Andy. Mm-hmm. And you learned that Jim Carrey is a crazy person. Didn't we already know that, though? No, but he's very crazy now. Mm-hmm. He's crazier than he ever was. So, uh, yeah. I think that's it for this week, right, guys? Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, we thank you all for listening. Thanks. Yeah. We love you all. Please join us next week as we discuss Jim Carrey in The Truman Show. Oh, yeah. That's true. That's next week. Uh, one of Jim Carrey's better dramatic roles. Um, so that's all I'll say about that because we're going to watch it next week. And we're also, if anybody has suggestions for movies... Just let us know. Yeah, we're very, very, very open to suggestions. Actually, um, well, we're going to discuss this after we're done with the podcast. But we're going to be incorporating some listener suggestions in the upcoming weeks. So, so if you have something us. that if you have something you want us to to do, uh, put it on our Facebook page, which is we watch movies and then talk about them on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram at, at movies we watch. Uh, mm-hmm. You can hit us up there if you have some movie suggestions. Um, and that's it. Also, if you have any questions, comments, things that you want us to discuss, if you think that we're crazy, please feel free to submit any uh, differing opinions or anything like that. We're happy to take listener mail and discuss it on the podcast if you guys want to. If you don't, that's fine. Whatever. I'd love we have, to. We yeah. have plenty to talk about anyway. So, yes. uh, But we, we appreciate our listeners. We love you all. We thank you for being here with us. And we will see you next week with The Truman Show. So I'm Andrew. I'm Becca. I'm Sid. Goodbye. Bye. See ya.